What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to Sam Dunks, the weekly NBA show over at Slab Socks. I am your host, Sam. Tomorrow is the beginning of the NBA regular season. Today is Monday, December 21st. I think you should be able to watch this already tonight. That means tomorrow then, again, Nets, Warriors at 7 p.m. Eastern. We have Lakers, Clippers at 10 p.m. Eastern. Going to be an extremely fun season. A lot of stuff for us to delve in over the course of the season. In preparation for all of this, what I'd like to do is just to go over some statistical analysis today, not particularly of any players or of any cards, but just in general terms. Uh, I'm not a statistician. I don't claim to be an expert at any of this stuff. There's probably a lot of you out there that are much better equipped to handle statistics than I am, uh, but I do enjoy going through them, uh, not even occasionally. I was going to say occasionally. <laughs> I like going through them a lot. Uh, so I want to help you uh, see what, what my process is. I'm going to show you some of my favorite stats, where to find them, how to analyze them. Uh, yeah, so I think the best way to prepare yourself for the season is just understanding what you're looking at when you're doing a deep dive into the statistics, not just relying on the box scores, not just relying on the eye test, but using all of the information available to you to make the wisest investment purchases that you can. All right, before we get there, tomorrow, Slab Stocks breaks. We are having another break, an NBA tip-off break that's going to start at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time. That's with Mosaic going at 1.30 Eastern time. At 3 p.m. Eastern time, Hoops Premium is going to be broken. I believe by the time you're watching this, all of our spots have already been purchased, which... Uh, it's pretty crazy. I would encourage you to keep watching. Anyways, go watch. I'll probably be hanging out in the comments and, and commenting along while Aaron breaks. Uh, at the end of the live stream, next week's breaks are going to be added to the website. So Aaron will make that announcement at the end of the live stream. Be there for that. Catch the end of it. Uh, next week's breaks, they're going to be more of a, of a budget purchase. We're actually going to have 2020 Prism draft picks. I know that's not the most exciting set in the entire world, uh, but there is still some value there uh, and it's going to be very budget friendly. So if you've never been on a break before or you just can't afford to get some of the regular spots, I'd encourage you to go into the 2020 Prism draft picks break, uh, buy a spot for that. So watch tomorrow, be ready. Aaron's going to drop the link and then you'll be able to slide on in for just a few bucks and grab a spot. All right. So Starting off with our statistical look at everything, uh, you know, in the card market, in the just general NBA fandom in general, uh, there are certain things that fans care about and it leaks over in our area. Uh, there's certain things that we care about when we're choosing who to spend our money on. Uh, that's Twitter highlights, future potential, cool name. You know, if a guy has a cool name, he's going to do pretty decently on the card market. If he has cool hair, that goes into that too. Team success. Uh, the market that he's playing in, marketability of the player, if he has exciting teammates, uh, whoever the newest hype train is, uh, media coverage. Does the media cover him? Generally, we're going to be investing in guys that the media covers. So these are all the types of things that we're often looking for, the general consumer is looking for when they're buying cards in order to flip later for a profit. Doesn't totally line up with what NBA GMs and owners line up with. Uh Verbal meme, owners and by extension GMs, they only care about one thing and it's disgusting. We're talking about the bottom line, money uh, tied into that. One of the biggest boons to the bottom line is landing 
marketable players, either in the free agency or in the draft. If, if it's all about money for the NBA, uh, really, they want to just get guys that they can market to their fan base. Uh, the hope is that you get a marketable player that is a good basketball player, because then that'll lead to team success. I think that might even be secondary to uh, having marketable stars on your team. Team success, that obviously affects the bottom line, too. Uh, the deeper a team can go into the postseason, the more tickets that are sold, the more jerseys sold, the uh, the more ads that are sold. It all leads to more money going into the coffers. Uh, but really, I don't think most teams, most GMs, most owners, I don't think most of them really care about a championship level of success. Uh, but really, success to a level of pro profitability is the main goal of most NBA owners. Uh my Milwaukee Bucks are probably generally a pretty good example of that. Uh, tied into that, a third concern of GMs is extracting the most value out of player contracts. It's with connection with this last item that I, I want to focus in on today. Uh, you know, this is where the analytical side of basketball really comes into play. You know, sure, of course, analytics, you know, the stats, it plays into the overall team success as well. Um, but there's so many other factors involved there, too. Uh, personality traits, uh, you know, coaching style, style of play, all those different things have to play into team success. But when you're projecting players into their next contracts, I think the best way to look at it is through the lens of a GM. How can I get the most overall value for my money? And the best way to gauge that is really by just taking a deeper dive into the stats. You know, what are the numbers telling us? This is important when we're we're talking card investments because the pulse on a given player can change so rapidly based on on how the teams see them uh, and that in turn affects how the media covers them in the short term sports card values are affected by all the items that we already discussed about what fans care about twitter highlights cool name cool hair future potential exciting teammates all that different stuff but in the long term so much of a player's card value will be best determined by how teams actually view them. So the best way to protect your money is to just try to guess at who's going to still be relevant and coveted in a year or two, and who's going to be fading into just an average interchangeable NBA player. Uh, because then you can, you know, if that becomes the case, you can say goodbye to any dollars you have invested in such a player. The average NBA career is about four to five years long. And I know in NBA fandom, we, we often just get so caught up in the most recent drafts, the most recent events, the most recent super teams. Um, you know, the last two or three drafts, they're all still exciting for us. But if you go back to 2016, if you go back to the 2015 draft, 2014 draft, looking them in retrospect, you see just how exciting they, rem they remain just a few years down the line. In fact, uh, let's do that here. Starting off with last year's draft, obviously, uh, your gut instinct when you look at this, still excited. Zion Williamson, John Morant, you know, awesome. R.J. Barrett had a rough year. Darius Garland had a rough year. You could still talk yourself into them. Kobe White, come on, that's a steal. Number seven, Rui Achimura, uh, Cam Reddish, Cam Johnson, P.J. Washington, Tyler Harrow down at 13. I mean, you can go throughout the first round and just see lots of guys that you're still excited for. Chuma Okiki, uh, Luka Samanich, uh, Matisse Thibel, uh, Nick Alexander-Walker, a lot of people are still high on him. Um, Kevin Porter down at 30, Jordan Poole at 28. A lot of people are really high on him. Dylan Windler coming back off of injury. There's so many guys that we just don't know many things about, and we're still all generally excited about them. If we look at the 2018 draft, 
uh, still relatively similar. DeAndre Ayton, there's still a lot of upside there. Marvin Bagley, I'm not as high on him, but uh, still a lot of people believe in him. Luka Doncic, Jaron Jackson, you know, go on down the line. Wendell Carter, uh, Michael Porter Jr. down at 14. Robbie Williams at 27. Anthony Simons, 24. When's he going to come up? We still all think he's going to be a good player someday. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo at 17, Kevin Horder at 19. You know, there's so many names on this list that we can all just still talk ourselves into. Uh, same kind of deal with 2017, but you kind of start seeing that excitement uh, taper off. Markel Fultz, obviously damaged goods. Lonzo Ball uh, had a good regular season last year, kind of scuffled in the playoffs. A little bit of damaged goods. Jason Tatum, we're still happy about. Josh Jackson, when he was drafted, we were all really excited for him. And uh, now he's probably one of the worst players in the NBA. Bam at a bio 14. There's still some good value on the board. Um, and yet, you also just kind of see that we're kind of moving on from a number of these players. Uh, Frank Nitalikina, you know, Dennis Smith Jr., eight and nine, two point guards that were seen as corner storing point guards when they were drafted. Uh, nowadays, they're both on the Knicks. I think they're both on the Knicks still, and they both kind of stink. Uh, 2016 draft is just getting worse. Ben Simmons still good. Brandon Ingram still good. Jalen Brown still good. Nice top three picks. Uh, but as you go through, uh, DeMontis Sabonis is, was a good selection, but Tarian Waller-Prince, Marquise Chris, Jacob Pirtle, uh, Buddy Heald, kind of damaged goods. Chris Dunn, extremely damaged goods. Uh, you go through the first round, and we just don't feel as good about a lot of these guys anymore. Obviously, you have Pascal Siakam at 27, awesome selection. Uh, Jamal Murray going down to seventh. He was awesome in the bubble. He was. Uh, we're still excited for him. But uh, Malik Beasley, you know, Wade Baldwin, Henry Ellenson, uh, 17, 18, and 19. Those are three guys that a lot of people are really high on. Uh, Scal Abissier, 28. Everyone thought, and maybe even still thinks, that he's a you know a future star, uh, and yet uh, really just hasn't done much. And then it gets even worse as you go to the 2015 draft. Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, awesome. Chula Okafor, terrible. Uh, Mario Hazonia. If you remember the, the draft coverage of Mario Hazonia, he, you know, Super Mario. There was nothing he couldn't do. Super athletic specimen. Uh, awesome. Tons to like. Emmanuel Moutier at seventh. Uh, he was, a, you know, a tall point guard. Awesome. You know, he, he was, you know, if he can learn to shoot, he's going to be this great, you know, long six foot five, six foot six point guard that any team would really want. Hasn't panned out that way. Stanley Johnson, defensive first, sure, but he was awesome at defense. The thought was he could be a great three and D player. I don't even know if he's in the league still. Justice Winslow, he was the steal of the draft going number 10 to Miami. And, you know, look at him now. Now he's Justice Winslow. And you just go through the draft. Uh, if you were living life as a draft nerd back in 2015, this was an extremely exciting draft. Just we, we thought it was filled with star talent. Now, even though a number of these guys scuffled right out of the gate, it was still just so easy to you know to believe that they'd all come around, uh, that they'd become much better players and become all stars and really lead the league in a few seasons. Uh, and now, you know, if you just compare these drafts side by side, uh, clearly we all feel so much better about the 2019 draft than we did than we do about the 2015 draft. Um, but at the time. They really compared rather favorably. You know, the level of excitement around both of them was really high. So our goal as investors is to not just get so caught up in this 2019 draft, 2020 draft, uh, feel like every single player is going to be a potential all-star. There's going to be a year or two where we can capitalize on that excitement and, and get some good investment income. 
but we want to make sure that we sell before some of those players' excitement disappear. Uh, we want to figure out when you know DeAndre Hunter is going to turn into Mario Hazonia and then sell before the market disappears on them. Uh, taking a deep dive into the stats, it's not going to be you know a perfect solution to helping you figure out every single situation, but it will at least help open your eyes quite a bit. So let's figure out who's going to stick, who's going to go away. Uh, I just want to go over in general terms some of the stats that I like looking at um, you know, the most when I'm trying to figure out the underlying value of a player. Uh, I want to start off with true shooting percentage. Uh, the formula for a true shooting percentage is total points divided by two times the true shooting attempts. Uh, the true shooting attempts is uh, figured out by adding the total field goal attempts plus 0.44 times the total number of free throw attempts. Don't ask me how they came up with that uh, formula. I don't know, uh, but it does paint a pretty good picture of overall ability. The players who excel in true shooting uh, are big men who live in the paint. Also good three-point shooters, uh, big big men since they have the highest percentage uh, you know, of shot attempts within three feet. Three-point shooters because they get an extra point generally for every field goal attempt. Uh, but just looking at true shooting percentage all by itself doesn't really tell you very much. Uh, since the top of the list is jam-packed with guys like you know Mitchell Robinson, Ivica Zubats, uh, uh, Thomas Bryant, so on and so forth. Uh, you really need to take true shooting percentage in conjunction with usage percentage, which we'll get into on the next couple slides, uh, and that'll paint you a little bit better of a picture of who a player is. Uh, just for your information, how to tell whether or not a true shooting percentage is good, think of it like this. Uh, last year, the league average was 56.5%. So, so that's our average baseline. Uh, anything around there, give or take a few points, that's just about considered average. Uh, below that is bad. Above that is obviously good. Below 50% is really quite bad, but there are a number of players below 50%. For instance, uh, RJ Barrett with his 24% usage rate last year. Uh, so about garbling up about uh, a quarter of all of the New York Knicks possessions when he was on the court and he was sporting a true shooting percentage of just 47.9%. Uh, really, really bad. Uh, I don't lay all that blame on RJ Barrett, uh, but he is a good example of a bad high usage shooter. On the other side, we have a guy like Carl Anthony Towns. He of a 28.8% usage and a 64.2% true shooting to go along with it. Uh, so he was eating up a, a huge percentage of the team's possessions, and he was doing so with elite efficiency. Uh, so that's clearly very good. Uh, this statistic matters quite a bit because we see a generally strong correlation between overall team success and overall team true shooting percentage. Uh, if you're watching this on, on YouTube, instead of listening to the podcast, you can see the trend line, the scatterplot trend line uh, on the screen in front of you. Uh, players who shoot a large quantity of shots with poor shooting efficiency will generally just not be retained by good teams, and instead they'll populate the bad teams. Uh, take, for instance, the Charlotte Hornets, whose backcourt rotation includes Terry Rozier, LaMelo Ball, and Devontae Graham. Uh, Slabstock's Nate just perked up. Uh, look at where they are, all the way down there near the bottom as far as winning percentage and true shooting percentage goes. It's no coincidence that a, a team like the Celtics was comfortable moving on from Rozier and his inefficiency, and then he wound up on a team like Charlotte, which, hey, no offense to Charlotte Hornets fans, uh, my Bucks have been historically, you know, like this too, historically bad team. Uh, you know, they thought just seven years ago, they thought Brandon Jennings and Monta Ellis was going to be a recipe for a good shooting backcourt, uh, just super inefficient though. 
So just in, in general terms, watch out for guys who jack up shots with great inefficiency because most good teams aren't going to be looking to grab them. And if they're high usage players with high inefficiency, their team's just probably going to be pretty bad. Uh, we can stomach this type of inefficiency for a few seasons. I mean, we can overlook that. Uh, but eventually the word's going to get out. Uh, the teams the teams obviously are going to know it. The media is going to start publicizing it. And then once that happens, we as fans, we're going to move away from it altogether. Uh, just because I mentioned it in the last couple slides, I always like to look at a player's usage percentage too. Usage percentage is calculated like this. 100 times the player's field goal attempts plus 0.44 times the player's free throw attempts plus his turnovers times the total team minutes and you divide all of that by the team's field goal attempts plus 0.44 times free throw team's free throw attempts plus team's turnovers times five times the player in questions minutes played obviously that's super confusing uh, but in essence what you need to know is this Usage percentage shows us how many possessions are ended by a certain player, and possessions can be ended in one of three ways, either with a field goal attempt, or with a free throw attempt, or with a turnover. A player with a, a high usage is being given the ability to end a high percentage of a team's possessions in one of those three ways. So there's, you know, think about a player with a high usage percentage and a high true shooting percentage. That is a superstar. Thinking about Giannis Antetokounmpo, Carl uh, Anthony Towns we had on the last slide. Uh, then you can consider a player who has a high usage percentage, but a low true shooting percentage. That's going to be the type of guy that generally bounces from team to team to team. I'm looking at Tari and Prince right now. Uh, then we have guys with low usage percentages and high elite efficient shooting. Now you're talking about an elite rotational role player, highly sought after. Uh, Duncan Robinson's a good example of that. And then there are guys with low usage and also low true shooting percentage. Uh, Kevin Knox is a good example of that. Simply a player that's not going to be playing very much at all. Uh, usage percentage is helpful when evaluating a player who has newfound success in the NBA and consequently newfound card market excitement. I'm thinking of a guy like last year's second round sensation, uh, Eric Pascal. Uh, the counting stats were impressive, especially for a second rounder. In per 36 minutes, he averaged 18.2 points, six rebounds, 2.8 assists, all pretty good, especially again for a second round rookie. But then we have to take into account a few other factors, uh, like uh, the, his league average true shooting of 57.1%. Not bad. Again, that is league average, uh, but really nothing special. Uh, then that's coupled with a relatively high 21.4% usage, which is not astronomical by any means, but it's certainly higher than what he's going to be getting on a healthy Warriors team this year. You know, only one player can end each possession. And above him in the pecking order, we're going to have Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins, Kelly Oubre. You're going to have Draymond Green absorbing a number of possessions too. And there's just not likely going to be you know nearly the level of excitement around him this year as he had last year because he's just not going to get those opportunities. And we have to expect his minutes, his usage, and therefore his raw counting stats all to take quite a dip accordingly. I'm not trying to you know, pick on Eric Pascal. He's just an example of what I'm looking for as I evaluate usage percentage in the context of what's going on with the team. 
A couple other things that I generally like to look for when I'm diving into players' stats. I always like to try and see if he has any sort of month-to-month or year-to-year incremental improvements. You know, we've been spoiled in the last several years with Zion and Ja and Luca and Trey Young. Uh, most players don't just come out of the draft and, you know, are excellent. Most players, they're going to just gradually develop over time. Take Giannis Antetokounmpo, reigning two-time NBA, uh, NBA MVP. Uh, but as we look at his stats, just season over season, you can see quite an improvement each year. Uh, first year, a pretty bad shooting overall, only a 414 field goal percentage, 6.8 points. Uh, really not much there. His second season, the field goal percentage increased 12.7 points per game. Okay, now we're looking at something. The third season, now he's really taking a leap. A over 50% field goal percentage and just under 17 points per game. Uh, which is really quite impressive for a 21-year-old who just started playing uh, basketball like five years previously. And then the next year, Giannis became an all-star. He was an all-star the next four years, MVP the last two years. 23 points per game, 27 points per game, 27.7, 29.5. The field goal percentage increased essentially each of those years as well. Uh, The rebounds uh, increased up. The assists generally increased along the way too. Uh, So we see just general improvement, gradual improvement. If you were out on Giannis after year one or year two, obviously you're missing out on a lot of money. Uh, What we want to see is that gradual improvement over time because that's what most players go through. That can even happen month to month. Uh, I've brought him up a number of times, but I like looking at Cam Reddish's month to month uh, improvement. You can get that on Basketball Reference. Go to this little tab that says Splits. And then click the 2019-2020 tab. Scroll down here. We have the month-over-month improvements. And it's really quite impressive to look at what he did from month to month. Uh, Started out, just look at the points. 5.2 points, 7.9, 9.4, 11.9, 13.4, 17.5 points by the month of March. Of course, that was only on four games. Uh, But we see that regular steady improvement month-over-month. True shooting percentage is the same thing. 2279 uh, back in October. Terrible. Uh, 428 in November, terrible. 467 in December, he's getting better, still terrible, sub 50%. Now all of a sudden, he's within spitting distance of league average come January, uh, 54% true shooting. Now all of a sudden, he's just surpassed league average in February, 57%. Then in March, again, small sample size, 67.2% true shooting. Uh, Along that way, we generally saw an increase in usage percentage, Uh, December 17.6%, 18.2%, 19.6%, 23.7%. The offensive rating increased along the way, 63, 82, 86, 102, 108, 109. That's exactly what we're looking for in a young player. Uh, Obviously, when we're looking at rookies, we don't have the benefit of of having five years of statistics available like we do with a player like Giannis. But we can break it down month to month. And if you can see gradual improvement uh, not with the benefit of injuries, because that's a factor, uh, but we just see general improvement as they're picking up things, as they're learning things, as they're studying under the vets, as the game's starting to slow down for them. That's exactly what we want to see. And, and uh, you know, I think deservedly, Cam Reddish is a type of player that people are really interested in investing in uh, going into the season. Unfortunately, as I covered a couple weeks ago, the minutes are going to be a little tough to come by. Another website that I like to use a lot, and I brought it up last week, and a number of people uh, reached out and asked if I could take them through it, so I thought I would do that here. Uh, that's nba.com backslash stats. Uh, there you can look either at players individually or at teams. Uh, I want to start by looking at uh, Devontae Graham since he's right here. Uh, there's a lot of different things that are available to you. 
Uh, what I wanted to look at with you today, just to uh, show you the types of things I often look for, uh, we're looking at his tracking, his shots dashboard. You have to change this to 2019, 2020. The interesting thing for a guy like Devontae Graham, Slab Sox Nate, shout out. Look at his catch and shoot versus his pull-ups. We're at the shots dashboard on his pull-ups. 54% of his field goal attempts came as pull-up jumpers. He was doing it uh, quite frequently. Obviously, he had the ball in his hands a ton because no one else on the Hornets wanted to do anything all season. Also relatively inefficient. 35.7% uh, uh, from the overall field on pull-up attempts. 34% from the field, uh, from three on pull-up attempts. Uh, so with the ball in his hands, pretty inefficient. We also know just overall he was generally inefficient. On catch-and-shoot attempts, though, which he did have a pretty high frequency on those, his field goal percentage jumped up to nothing too great, but 42%. His three-point percentage, though, on 3.3 uh, catch-and-shoot attempts per game, 42.2%. Uh, you can scroll all the way down to the bottom, see the amount of time he's touching the ball before a shot. If he has the ball under two seconds, it's generally a catch-and-shoot or something pretty similar to that. Again, much better field goal percentage, efficient field goal percentage uh, when he barely has the ball in his hands. And if he has the ball for under two seconds on three-point attempts, he's shooting just under 42%. But if he's dribbling beforehand, if he has the ball for any amount of time before he takes the shot, uh, he becomes much less efficient. What I'm looking for with this type of deal, uh, at these stats, um, we all know who Devontae Graham's backcourt partner is going to be this year. Obviously, that's LaMelo Ball. LaMelo Ball is going to have the ball in his hands much more than Devontae Graham. He's going to be initiating the offense. If they're playing side by side, and I imagine they are, uh, we are going to have a lot more catch and shoot opportunities for Devontae Graham. LaMelo Ball, his excellent trait is his passing. He should be able to get Graham some open looks. Uh, I would expect Devontae Graham's efficiency to increase quite a bit this coming season, which is really good for a guy like Slapstock Snake that can't get over him. Uh, then we could also look at some uh, team statistics. Uh, let's start by looking at the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, there's a lot of different things you can go in through here. Well, first, I want to look at on-off court with you. On-off court summary is where we're going. 2019-2020. Uh, this is a, you know, there's so many different catch-all metrics out there and, and they all have their weaknesses and, and on-off um, net rating also has its weaknesses, but I do like looking at it. I think it, it put, shows us a pretty decent uh, picture of if if a team's actually better when a player's on the court or if they're actually worse. So you think of a guy like Colin Sexton, who was putting up over 20 points per game, but almost every single minute he was out there, the team was worse than when he was on the bench. Uh, so looking at the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, by net differential on off. Look, Zion Williamson here in the second place, right behind Derek Favors. When he's on the court, offensive rating rises from 109.5 to 112. Great. When he's on the court on defense, it, their defensive rating cuts to 106.9, down from 112.2. So they're 5.3 points per 100 possessions better when he's on the court. Uh, defensively, plus 2.5 when he's on offense. So that gives us an eight points per 100 possessions improvement when Zion Williamson is playing on the court. Uh, so that's just an example of, of the type of things you can be looking for. Uh, you can also look at lineup data, which is another uh, area I like to look at. Lineups 2019-2020, we'll go to advanced. Oh, and I have to change the year again. Lineups advanced, their most used lineup 
Zion Williamson, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Derek Favors, Drew Holiday, and it was an awesome lineup. 115 points per 100 possessions offensive rating, 96.8 defensive rating. Uh, just great stuff. The second most used lineup was without Zion Williamson, and most of that came before he came uh, came under came back healthy. 112 offensive rating, 115.6 defensive rating. Just right there, we can see just what type of impact Zion Williamson was having on the team. He came in immediately. We saw a 21-point improvement um, over what they had been doing with their most majorly used lineup. Uh, Zion Williamson was not was obviously not very healthy last year. This year he is. Uh, I expect some really big improvements from the team, even though they lost Drew Holiday, even though they lost Derek Favors. Uh, we have a lot of the core players returning, a lot of young guys getting a year better. Zion Williamson healthy. Uh, things look pretty good for them. And we'll wrap up looking at a team like the Cleveland Cavaliers so you can see you know, some of the negative aspects of this uh, lineups uh, tool. Uh, with the Cavaliers, their most used lineup, negative 8.6. That's Obvious, they were a bad team last year. Their second most used lineup, negative 7.2 points per 100 possession. They, you know, they're just losing games. You can also break this down by, uh, you can add a player in actually, add a player in that you want to just see all of his lineups. So we're going to look at Colin Sexton, most used Colin Sexton lineup. Again, the negative 8.6, most used negative 7.2. Those are those two top two used lineups. We can break it down by three player lineups. Um, what three man ro uh, rotation? Uh, was most effective, least effective with Colin Sexton. Most of them are just really bad. Uh, the most used three-man tandem on the team involving Colin Sexton, a net rating of negative five. Second most, negative 10. Uh, third most, negative 11.6. Fourth most, negative 9.9. The bad news for uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers is that one of their Worst lineups overall, negative 26.3 points per 100 possessions. That involved Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, and Kevin Porter Jr. Anytime they were playing together, they were a huge net negative, which just goes to show us the Cavs are probably going to have to make a decision here shortly. Now, Darius Garland, if you did the same thing with Darius Garland, it's going to be just as bad as, as Colin Sexton. All of his top lineups also terrible. Negative 11, negative 10, negative 10, negative 11, negative 10, negative 7. Uh, obviously awful. It's a little better when you look at Kevin Porter Jr. Colin Saxon was in his second year, though. Darius Garland was coming in after a year of not playing, essentially, in college, coming into a bad situation. Also, point guard is probably the hardest position to go from college into the NBA. Uh, so I'm just giving him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. But clearly they have a mess on their hands trying to figure out who's worthy of sticking around and who can actually be something good. My money is on Kevin Porter Jr. All right. Uh, that is all the statistical deep dive I'm going to give for you today. Uh, I would encourage you to spend a good amount of time going to NBA Advanced Stats, nba.com backslash stats. Uh, they changed all the, the, the navigation this year. But basically you got this quick links over here on the side. Scroll on down look at any of those options, click any one of them, just fiddle around with it, see what you can learn. Uh, there's so much that you can dive into when you go into the advanced stats. You know, it, it tires me when people say, oh, you know, Marvin Bagley's 15 points and seven rebounds. Awesome. It's like, okay, so what? <laughs> you know, you can sign any guy off the, you know, any veteran off the free agency uh, marketplace for the minimum to get you 15 and seven. I mean, how many 
Greg Monroe's out are floating out there right now uh, that can be had for next to nothing. Um, you know, there's tons of players like that. So, you know, don't just look at the basic box score. You know, try and dive a little bit deeper. See if the team's better on the court. See what's going on with the usage. See what's going on with the true shooting. Everything like that. Uh, if you're able to dive a little bit under the surface, you're going to have a head start on on anyone else that wants to uh, you know evaluate a player and how they're going to be performing in the future. Uh, so that's my encouragement to you. Uh, that's all I have for you today. Uh, thank you so much for joining in. Hopefully, I didn't bore you to death. Hopefully, if you're listening to the podcast. <laughs> is a little bit easy to follow along. If not, thank you for listening to the podcast. And I also encourage you to go to YouTube and watch on there as well. All right. That's all the time I have for today. Remember, tomorrow, 1.30 p.m. Eastern time, Aaron's breaking Mosaic. 3 p.m. Eastern time, he's breaking NBA Hoops Premium. Even if you didn't get a spot in those breaks, go watch because at the end, Aaron's going to be announcing the next break and he's going to be making that live. It's a budget break. Uh, so maybe many of you might be interested in that. So uh, be sure to watch. Uh, and as always, thank you so much for tuning in. I will see you next week.